There's more than one way to skin a potato. <laughs> yeah. Just stop. Just stop. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with that. I'm about to have my match. I'm about to go on the other side of things. I'm about to go on the other side of things. Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not done with like the over sensitivity thing. Like, all right. Um, so, what did we decide? Anybody want to share what they talked about in the group? You look like you want to share. Come on, somebody. So what do we think? Is the Bible inspired? Close the door in case somebody says no. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you why do you say yes? You're not a good yes. Yeah. Uh, I'd say I I think it's inspired because after after all these years and all these different people writing it, and God says that this is like the Bible, like this is it, you know, that this is what He wanted for the Bible. That after all of these with all of these people, there has to be some of divine interaction and like duet between the people writing it and God telling them like, not telling them what to write, but like, I guess inspiring them to write what they're writing. Okay, absolutely. Did anybody else talk about maybe the difference between inspired and inerrant? Thomas, I know you did, come on. <laughs> we talk about the same stuff. Same stuff? In the same group. Oh, <laughs> Well, that would make sense. All right. Well, 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 says that all scripture is, uh, and the word they use is theonoustos. Is that how you say that word? Theonoustos. Um, so that's what it looks like. Theonoustos. So um, this word is not found anywhere else in scripture. Uh, it's a combination of two words. So theo means God, and noustos has kind of a, a, a couple of meanings, and one of them can be um, breathed, and one can, um, or breath, um, and one can be spirit. Um, so there's this idea um, in the Greek, um, and then also actually um, in the Hebrew, and then also in, um, in Latin, Spire or spire, I don't know how to say that in Latin, they all have this dual meaning where spirit and breath mean the same thing. Uh, and, and kind of for, for obvious reasons, right? When someone no longer has breath, they are dead. They no longer are inhabited by their, their spirit, sort of as the thinking. Um, and so, so Timothy is telling us, uh, or, or in Second Timothy we hear that scripture is God-breathed. Um, and so that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about inspired, is that somehow God has breathed into this. Um, so what are the, the implications of that? What, is, what does inspired mean to you? What does God breathed mean to you? Does it mean that God kind of like was whispering in somebody's ear? Does it mean that God, like, as he was, was talking, somebody was writing down exactly what God was saying to them? What does God breathed mean?
for each other. Come on, let's be interactive. I mean, I don't think that they were like in a trance. Okay. Like we kind of talked about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they were like, they sat down and then they like lost all control over their body and then their arm just started moving and <laughs> they wrote down. Like I think that it was still like something that the writer came up with. Um, but I don't, I don't think that, like I think that it was kind of inspired by their belief in God and like what they believed about God yeah. and their relationship with Him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what else is God breathed? When you think about scripture and you think about God breathing into something, where else do we see this idea? You're nodding your head. You have an idea. What is it? Yeah. Yes. So God breathed into Adam. God breathed his breath into Adam, and that is where Adam got his life. Um, and so in the same way that this scripture is God-breathed, we also are God-breathed. And so uh, what Rob Bell is, is suggesting here. Um, is that the Bible is um, a library of books written by people trying to figure it out, wrestling with demons, doubting, struggling, doing what they could to bring a little light to their world. And yet, these books have been breathed into, showing us what redemption looks like, giving us hope, insisting that people like you and me can actually do our part to heal, repair, and restore this world we call home. And that is inspiring. And so I think the suggestion here is that, yes, the Bible is inspired. Yes, God has been at work in Scripture the same way that God has been at work in your life and in my life and in the lives of the people in Scripture who are writing these things down. Um, and so I think the difference between um, inspired or God-breathed and, and inerrant is that it recognizes um, the humanity of, of, of those that have been God-breathed writing something about who God is. So, anybody have anything else they want to add to that or questions that they want to ask? Is it the only place that it says that it's inspired by scriptures inspired by God? The only place? Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. <laughs> How many times do you want it said? It only needs to say it. And, uh, <laughs> and to be clear, the scripture that they are talking about is Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. They right. are not talking about the New Testament. So, right. I mean, I guess if you want to take it literally, you could say that the New Testament is not. God breathe. <laughs> At least it doesn't say it. Exactly. I was so. just thinking that, um, like when you asked about God breathe, I, it struck me, I know this is just a metaphor, but does God breathe? I mean, does God need to breathe? He listens to me breathe. <laughs> God listens to us breathe? No, to listens me. to me to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that band is... Uh, <laughs> There's a concept in my mind, somehow, that the Holy Spirit maybe is God's breath, somehow. Yeah. Mm. Um, the winds probably went over the apostles. Yeah, new, new love. Yeah, when they receive the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues and whatever. I feel like maybe that's, I tend to think of the Holy Spirit being in the people who are writing books. And I know that sounds like now that I know that it's just one verse. Maybe I'm really taking a huge leap <laughs> to believe that. But when I think of breath, I think more of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think what connects me to this statement is, so the metaphor of God breathing, if God doesn't really need to breathe, um, he breeze through Adam. In that sense, we we are called to do what God 
would do if God had a body. And so the biblical writers are, you know, writing, in a sense, they're, they're writing as human beings, but that's how God always works. God, God works through humans to do what He wants to have done. And, uh, I mean, I, to say that the, their people are wrestling with demons and doubting and struggling, that's not the default sense I have of the biblical writers being inspired because we tend to default to they're sitting at a table and God's telling them what to write down and the idea that's a messier process that they're actually living and writing like they would normally uh, is a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and um, you know the fact that scripture is inspired by the spirit um, is important and that is something beautiful and amazing but we are also inspired by the Spirit. Right here in this room, the Spirit is among us because we are believers that are gathered in the name of Christ. And so Spirit is here working among us. Um, and that, I think, sometimes can be um, just as beautiful and just as inspiring as Scripture. Um, I think that I grew up with the notion that God kind of stopped working after, um, or Spirit stopped working after, you know, Revelation was, was written and that was kind of the end of it. Um, but Spirit continues to work today in how we read the text together and how we interpret together and how we embody it, how we live it out every day. So you being God-breathed, you being Spirit-led um, are, are an inspiration to the world around you. So. All right, so the next chapter is the big question. So um, it's what he, he thinks is the best question to ask when you're reading the Bible. Um, and that question is, why did people find this important enough to write down? So, uh, especially in this day and age when, um, or the day and age when scripture was written, um, a lot of things weren't written down. It was expensive. It was something that, uh, that was only reserved for really important things. Um, and so, and actually, uh, it's, it's interesting, like literacy among Hebrew people was a lot higher than some of the surrounding um, areas so that they could read scripture, but that, that, I mean, still to take the time to to write something down or chisel it or, or whatever they had to do or get a scroll. Um, I mean, there are tablets, rocks that they have found with, with um, scripture chiseled on it. That would have taken a long time. So why did people find this important enough to actually write down? So when you're reading scripture, Probably the best question to ask is, why did somebody write this down? Why did somebody think, ah, that's important. I need to jot this down. I need to make sure that people remember that later. Uh, so the first one we're going to look at is Genesis 1. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Does anyone know? What this, I'm just kidding. You should all know what this is about. Um, so this is the story of the creation of the world. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called light, or called night. And then we have God creating other things. We have him uh, separating the water from the land. And we have him creating um, the uh, vegetation and plants and um, animals um, and seasons and all of this. Um, and at the very end, um, towards 26, 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. It's like day. So why... Why did somebody find this important enough to write down? Well, when did they write it down? Excellent question. Does anybody know when they wrote it down? Adam, not too long after no. this. Yeah, right, Adam. Like, oh, I remember <laughs> that day that God created me. That was great. Um, we're not totally sure when Genesis was written. There's like a big stretch of time where it's possible to fall in there, but it's very likely that it could have been written for the people experiencing exile in, in Babylon further on. Some people also think it was written to people in Moses' time experiencing the first exile. Right. So there's a broad range there. Right. So um, the, the, there's a lot of scholarly debate, like you said, about when this could have been written, but um, the, the most likely is that it was written, people started writing these things down in Babylonian exile. Now that doesn't mean that they weren't passed down um, orally, that doesn't mean this wasn't the tradition of the people, but now that they're in this place, Babylon, they're not... They're not um, acculturating of themselves anymore. They're kind of being absorbed into another culture. Um, someone is taking the time to write this down and say, this is what we believe. So what what would have been important about that? What would have been the implications for writing it in exile? It's a reminder of who they are as a people, right? This is what we believe. This is what the Babylonians believe. So it's, it's um, kind of solidifying, I guess, their... Um, giving, making sure that they maintain their own cultural identity in the midst of, of this exile. Um, and so another important thing about this is, um, so the Babylonians had a creation story as well. Um, and in the Babylonian creation story, um, it's called the Enuma Elish. Um, and the god Marduk defeated the goddess Tiamat, and then he tore her carcass apart using the two halves to make the world. So, um, so it's, it's pretty violent. Um, and then uh, what happens after that is that Marduk creates humans as slaves. Um, and so we have, this, we have this story in Babylon of um, the, the engine that began the universe is one of violence and one of uh, war and one of uh, someone trying to um, enact authority over somebody else and somebody creating humans as slaves. They don't mean anything. They're slaves just to uh, do whatever the god Marduk wants there uh, for the purposes. But then we have the Jewish uh, version of creation that says, no, God God created everything. Uh, there was no violence. Um, in fact, any, any chaos 
was subdued by God in creation. God uh, created something beautiful where there was chaos or void or nothing. And then humans weren't created to be slaves. Humans had God breathe into them. Humans were loved by God and they were given dominion over the earth. So it wasn't that this God Marduk had dominion over all of these little slave peons. No, God created these co-creators to continue to create, to continue to subdue, to continue to grow this world um, and, and something that had God's image stamped on it as opposed to just a disposable sort of slave. So can you see why this would have been important for them to have written down to maintain their identity and what the importance of that identity was? Uh, just the, the entire fabric of, of who God is, what God is about, and thus what they are about is entirely different than these people that had captured them and that would have been um, vital to maintain. Uh, the next one I want to look at is Psalm 139. Anybody want to read? Oh, I'll, I'll, it's pretty long, so I'll read it and kind of skip around. There's one other thing about Genesis 1 that I think is really yeah. important when you think about the most important and basic relationship, which is the relationship between men and women and creating culture and raising children. You have Genesis, which speaks a very different word as to the nature of the relationship between men and women. Absolutely. Uh, that would have been so countercultural to what was going on in Babylon. Absolutely. Yeah, can, can you imagine identity as, as male and female in a world where the male god defeated the female god and then tore her apart to create something for his own purposes, how that would have impacted how men treated women? It would be interesting if we had, you know, I know if you go to certain websites and read the Bible, you can just click a little icon and it'll put another translation of the Bible in parallel columns. What's that? called Bible Works or something. I don't know. Uh, Bible Gateway, I think it is. Uh, if we could click a button and have the Babylonian creation story right next to Genesis 1. Because that's, if that's when they wrote this down, that's what they're responding to, then right. it changes how we read Genesis as a response to that versus it answering our questions, our modern questions about, I wonder how scientifically God created the world if that's not the reason it was written and that's why it's important to ask this question that Rob Bell is saying we should ask is don't bring your own agenda to the text yeah. but try to figure out what their agenda was and then read it if those makes more sense absolutely um, so Psalm 139 is one of my very favorite psalms. Um, I'll read portions of it and kind of jump around, but at the time, this is a great one, too. Um, he uses, like, a Lectio Divina or to memorize. It's just very uplifting. Um, o Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
even there your right your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made why would somebody have written that down Is a scientific truth. Have you ever seen Wings of the Morning? Can we dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea? I like to see God knitting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. God took little pieces of your skin and then just knit it together. If you look real close to the microscope, you'll see like a stockinette stitch. <laughs> Why would somebody have written this down? Because the God that it portrays is very different from the other gods that people knew. And so to be able to um, uh, make a way for people to know that and see that and learn that uh, is very valuable to be able to say that this, this, this God is how he cares for us and how he sees us and values us rather than how people know their God to perceive them. Absolutely. So it's saying something about God, right? This kind of God that takes the time to hand-knit you together. This God that knows every thought before you even begin to think it. Uh, but it also says something about you. It also says something about the inherent worth that you have as a human being. Um, and so whoever um, wrote this, whoever's poem this originally was, um, obviously, you know, wrote it down. It possibly would have been David, somebody that had access to these materials. But then somebody came along um, later and found it and realized this is important. This is a word that people need to hear about God and about ourselves. Uh, it was passed down because it is inspiring, because when you read it, it does paint a picture of what it means to be a child of God in a, in a beautiful and unique and poetic way. And the last one we're going to look at is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Um, now, if you look in Mark, um, the, the end of the book actually ends a little bit later, uh, but a lot of, uh, it, you may have in your uh, text that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, verses 9 through 20. So the very earliest manuscripts end at, at verse 8. Um, and there's a lot of um, scholarly um, discussion around why Mark would have ended it this way. Um, so, of course, this, this last chapter is going to be about the resurrection. So, when Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And they said to him, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And then this is how it ends. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid.
Why would Mark have written that down? Why would Mark have ended the story this way? They leave terrified, and they don't say anything to anyone. Anybody have any guesses as to why Mark would have just ended it this way? It's pretty confusing, right? So you can see why somebody would have come on later and tacked on nine through when he like, let's fix this. I think he left off a few things, right? But if you read Mark, all throughout Mark, Mark, Mark gives you kind of, um, he, he makes you do a lot of the work on your own. Whereas Matthew and Luke and John, they give you very bold, sweeping statements about who Jesus is. When you read those scriptures, you are positive that Jesus is the Son of God. Or when you read um, John, you, you get Jesus is the embodied God. He is God incarnate on this earth. That is absolutely clear. You don't get that in Mark. Mark kind of hints at it. Mark suggests it just a little bit. But what Mark is doing is saying there's nothing that we can say about God that will fully help us comprehend God. Whatever we say about God is already going to limit God because there is nothing that we can say that will fully encompass who God is. And so what he wants you as the reader to do is to put yourself in the story and start asking questions. Okay, who is this Jesus? Okay, how would I have responded? Um, how the, so the disciples responded this way. What does that mean about me? And you're supposed to put yourself in the story. And so in this scenario, if you've been putting yourself in the story this whole time, you are the disciple. You have arrived at the tomb, and it has been empty. And now the question that you're left with is, okay, now what? Now what do I do? I'm afraid. This is scary. Um, the audience Mark would have been writing to uh, would likely have been persecuted Christians who were perhaps not saying things to anyone because they were afraid. They weren't sharing the gospel. They weren't sharing this with other people. They weren't gathering with their Christian community because they were afraid of persecution. And so Mark ends this abruptly. He doesn't want to give you the rest of the story. He wants you to write out the rest of the story in your own life. Um, does that make sense? Isn't that, I mean, Mark is an incredible storyteller, like, where he doesn't even finish the story, but he finishes the story. It's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, we are running out of time, but I want to leave you with one more um, thing here, and this is the worst question. Um, so what, um, what Rob Bell suggests is the worst question is, why did God such and such? Um, and then the reason that he... Um, says this, is he says that our, uh, kind of like um, George was saying earlier, we kind of um, take our own assumptions about God and overlay it on the story, or we take our own assumptions about the text or whatever is going on, and we overlay it onto the story. So we come at scripture, we come at thinking about God with our beliefs and our skepticism and our convictions and our frustrations and our questions and the things that we've read about and the things that we've heard about and the things that our grandmother said and the things that Joe across the street has questions about and our opinions and our assumptions about God. And uh, Rob says, think about all of those as each one of those, every little belief you've had, every bumper sticker you've seen about God, every uh, weird little thing that you have read in the Bible that you're not quite sure what to do with, is like another little marble in this jar. And so when you're reading, you've got this marble like shaking around in the background. Like this is, this is what's informing how you read the text. Um, and so he says that, that um, to come at scripture as this is God's perspective rather than this is someone's perspective on God's perspective might be the wrong way to look at it. So instead of asking, why did God do this? We should ask, why did people 
assign this to God? Why do people say God did this? Why do people write this down about what God did? Um, rather than why did God do those things? Sim- like like Mark was talking about, like um, like George was talking about, we we can't fully know why God does things. We are not God, um, and we, we never will be. And so there are questions that we can't answer about why did God. So the the way that we can understand Scripture is instead of asking why did God do this, the questions we ask are why did people believe in this kind of God that would do this, and why is that inspiring? Why does that bring up questions? Um, and and I think that that's an important point, but I would also um, kind of push back on that just a little bit. Um, I, I agree with where he's coming from, but at the same time, I do think it can be helpful to ask, why did God? I think that we wrestle with that as human beings, right? Why did God do that? I prayed about this, and um, and it didn't happen. Why did God um, take my niece? Why did God um, not, not answer this prayer? Um, but I think that when we look at, and, and those can help form our faith. Um, and so they are important questions to ask, but I think as Rob Bell is suggesting, um, maybe the question need, we need to ask is why, why do we think that God is the one doing these things? Why do we think God's the one plucking people out of our lives? Or why is God causing all these bad things to happen to us? Why are we blaming God for these things rather than seeing how God has always worked in the world um, and understanding our part in that and, and um, evil's part in that and sin's part in that and um, and what God is doing in the world. So it's not necessarily assigning blame to God for all the things God's doing. It's it's asking ourselves, okay, why do we think that God is the one that has done this? Why, is, why did this person think that God is the one that did this? Does that make sense? Cool. All right. Well, we are... Fresh out of time, so if you had questions, you can uh, save those for next week. Yeah, um, and then next week will be our last, last week. our last week in this series. And then um, go ahead, go ahead. Will, will will people be here? Is everybody going home? Yeah. What we'll new people probably? Too. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah from out of, out of town. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thanks. Have questions? Just sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you can email us. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>